Will you please pray with me? God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share together your word. We pray that our hearts would be open, that your spirit would illuminate our minds, that we would pay attention to the real word that you have for us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I had been married about 25 years when my husband and I decided it was time to clean out our garage. And um, that was not a good decision, but we decided to do it anyway. My kids were upstairs, and their bedrooms faced, uh, were over the garage, if you can picture that. So when the garage door was open, if you walked out of the garage, you would look up into their rooms. They were small, but in elementary school. And we went out to the garage, and we were up, I remember, on a ladder. And I was, uh, my husband was holding the ladder, and I was up on the ladder, and we, I got this box down. I knew what was in the box. It was, it was my invitations to my wedding. It was my napkins from my wedding. It was all my treasures from the wedding. So, oh, we were going to get to see this again. How wonderful. I opened the box, and all my kids heard was a scream that would have brought the roof down. And they ran to their windows, and they looked out. This is from their perspective. All they saw was their father running out of the garage, followed by me, followed by about a hundred tiny little baby mice. <laughs> and if you can picture that, we're running, and of course my husband threw me to the wolves, you know. He took off, and I had to get down off the ladder when they all came out. And they were laughing so hard up in the room, and they looked up, and they saw me literally jump up on top of a car without using hands. I just did a free jump right up on top of the car. <laughs> they still laugh about that to this day. They go, hey, Mom, remember? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it was scary. I mean, these baby tiny little mice, and there were hundreds and hundreds of them, I, just to picture it. Yeah, what were they going to do? What were they going to do to us if they caught us? You know, it would be like, whoa, whoa. Um, too many movies. That was my problem. <laughs> but, but I tell you, the person that screamed was my husband. It wasn't me. <laughs> the things that were ruined in that box because they were all, you know, eaten away and it was used as a nest... The things that had ruined had no monetary value whatsoever. None. They weren't worth a penny to anybody. It's the value that was invested in these things that made them treasure. Not necessarily the things themselves, but it was the memories that they, the things held. It was the, the symbol of what they meant that had made them a treasure for me. And sometimes our things become our leverage to, to promote our standing or a, our, to help us experience acceptance, a sense of worth to family or sometimes to community. We use them, our things, sometimes are to measure our success and they promote respect, and that's why they're treasures. 
not necessarily because they have any monetary value. Our things are treasures because we give them emotional value. And that's the way it is with most treasures. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and rats consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or as Eugene Peterson interprets this text in the message, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. This is the word of the Lord. Preaching about wealth and possessions and treasure is really no easy task. And it's not hard just because as a hearer, you're like, oh no, what are they going to say to me about my money? It's not just hard for you, it's hard for the preacher as well because the preacher is right there with you. What does the word have to say about my stuff? So it's very tough to uh, preach about it. Suffice it to say that we all in this delicate but demanding spiritual tension are in it together. So most of us have worked hard Monday through Friday or most of our lives or spent the best years of our lives working to earn as much as possible so that we didn't have to work. And then on Saturday, after we earned as much as possible Monday through Friday, on Saturday we, we go shopping to stock up on earthly treasures of one kind or another, only to encounter on Sunday the word that reminds us that it's all in vain. It's hard to shift so quickly from one spot to the next. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, there are perfectly justifiable reasons why we feel the need to store up treasures on earth. Reasons that have nothing to do with greed or crass materialism. We want to plan for the future. We need to save for retirement. We have to get the kids through college. We have to have enough to last us to the ends of our lives. And we need to stash something away in case there's some unforeseen catastrophe or crisis. So we build up a nest egg, or we intend to build up a nest egg. And we manage to accumulate a fair number of things along the way as a means of ensuring our own security. But how much is enough? I can remember a, a financial planner once saying to me, you're going to need $1.6 million in order to, you know, and I mean, he might as well said, you're going to need to live on Venus in order to retire. And I thought, well, that will never happen. And then I went to my mom and I said, I just, I, I don't know. And my mom, who's retired, she retired from being a meat wrapper in a supermarket, lives very nicely. She goes, they always want you, they always think you need more than you, more and more and more. You'll never have enough, according to a financial planner. If you're a financial planner, thank you. But I'm just speaking the truth of what my mom told me. You know, they, you, you just, 
jam, she said. You just do your best, and then you live on what you've got. And that kind of liberated me. It freed me from that tyranny of fear about the future. Jesus urges the disciples not to store up resources on earth. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean monetary. But money becomes a symbol, you see. It's where we put emotional value. Will we be safe? Will we, will we be secure? I'm fine if I have enough money. So all of the money becomes a symbol of all of that for us. And Jesus says it's not a good symbol. It can't pay off in the way you want it to. He points towards, his point relates to what we place our trust in and where our security lies. And Jesus stresses that two masters, God and money, can't be served at the same time. It's impossible to do it. You can't serve God and then have your heart and security and trust and everything be in money. It doesn't equate. And you can't have your money be God to you, security and trust and worship God. They're, it's incompatible. God's empire, God's kingdom, isn't a quest for stuff. It's to shape the identity and the lifestyle of disciples. In verses 1 through 18, the heart's commitment matters profoundly, and that's really what this particular, these particular verses are really all about. It's not about the evils of money. In fact, Jesus doesn't ever talk about the evils of money. He talks about the evil that comes along with loving money and placing your hope in money. But it's not about having things. It's not about wealth and and any of that. It's about where is your heart? And what you treasure most is where your heart is going to live as well. Wall Street Journal columnist Robert Frank wrote the book, Richistan. And it's a travel guide through the parallel universe that the ultra-rich in America have built for themselves, complete with Gulfstream jets, 30,000 square foot homes, and alligator skin toilet seats, all real things. Um, There's a series on Netflix, and it's called Extraordinary Houses. And I I love that show because I love architecture. I'm always interested in it. But I realized that I sit through that show like this because I cannot believe. I go, people can't live there. There, There's not real real people that live there. And yet they do. He interviewed a number of the same people uh, that he wrote the article about. And he was very surprised to learn that the inhabitants of Richistan were plagued by anxiety. So much so that some had even formed self-help groups, self-help support groups for them while they lived in Richistan. What could possibly keep these billionaires up at night? And I wonder if you can guess what it was. What were they most worried about? They were most worried about running out of money. Billionaires. When asked how much would be enough to relieve your anxiety, most of the group doubled whatever it was they had. If they had a million, they said, two million, I would feel better. I would feel good. 
10 million. If I had 20 million, I'd feel great. 100 million, uh, about 200 million, I think I'd feel secure and safe. It sounds crazy, but it seems normal to me because we're all in this together, regardless of the grade and the level. It's just more intensified. How many of you have said, if I just had this much more, I would be able to be generous? How many of you have waited until you earn more money to be generous? Or if I had this much, I could do this or could do that. It's just, just a trap we all fall into. If we, want, if we want to have wonderful, fulfilled, happy lives, nothing is stopping us from doing that. And we know that. Whatever our level of wealth, most people do not feel they have accumulated enough to feel secure because it won't make you feel secure. That's the thing. All of this seems to prove Jesus' point, that wealth guarantees no ultimate fulfillment or security. It just doesn't. I mean, yes, you can say that if you're very wealthy, but hey, I'm not wealthy. I'm just the opposite of it. I grew up the opposite of it. But I do know that I have a lot more now than I had when I was growing up as a kid. But I'm still exactly who I've always been, and I'm not any happier or any less happy that has anything to do with how much money I have. Now, not feeling like I don't know where I'm going to, my next meal's coming from, and not feeling like I'm not sure if I have enough money to make it through the end of the month, that's a reality, and that's real. But the anxieties of never having enough, no matter how much you have, those are an anxiety that are fictional, that we have made up in our own mind. In a world of moths and rust and thieves, as Jesus talked about, not to mention a roller coaster stock market, a volatile housing prices, corporate downsizing and outsourcing, there is always a certain amount of anxiety. And no one is ever satisfied with what they currently have because if they just had a little more, they would feel secure. Everyone wants just a little more. Now, if Richistan is one parallel universe, Jesus came proclaiming another. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, he called it. He calls everybody in the kingdom of heaven to a different lifestyle. He says, give it away. You don't need all that stuff. He asked them, his disciples, to leave their occupations to leave their jobs, if you can imagine. Put down your nets. Come and follow me. He sent them out into the world, and he told them to carry no gold or silver or copper and to wear only the clothes on their back. And he urged them, don't store up your treasures on earth, but instead invest everything. Invest who you are, your identity, where your next meal is coming from. Invest it all in God. He urged them not to store up treasures on earth. And frankly, it's hard to imagine to me what this might look like. I really don't, I really don't think that God is calling you to quit your job unless, maybe, your job is your treasure. 
I don't think Jesus is calling you to give away your money unless your money is your treasure. I don't think Jesus is saying give all your possessions unless all your possessions are your treasure and your treasure is not the relationship you have with God and the relationship you have with each other. Jesus doesn't tell us precisely how to store up treasure in heaven. However, he did do this. He gave up his place as God and came to earth to live in simplicity and the barest existence. And he finally gave his life for us. In other words, he entrusted his whole being to God. And he entrusted that God had given him a mission God had given him a vocation. He, entr- he trusted that God was behind that, and he followed it. He listened. And God has given us other examples as well. I'd like to share one with you. You probably have heard of this woman. Her name is Osceola McCarty. And you might recognize her story when I tell you her story, but this is such a beautiful example to me of storing up your treasures in heaven. She was born into the world in 1908, and it was a pretty raw start. She was conceived when her mother was raped on a wooded path in rural Mississippi as she returned from tending a sick relative. Osceola was raised in Hattiesburg by a grandmother and aunt who cleaned houses, cooked, and took in laundry. As a child, Osceola would come home from elementary school and iron clothes and earn money and then she would stash those clothes into her that money into her doll buggy the three women Osceola and her mother and her grandmother relied completely on each other and when the aunt returned from hospitalization unable to walk Osceola dropped out of sixth grade to take care of her and take up her work as a washerwoman She never returned to school. This is what she says. Work became the great good of my life. Another friend of hers said she found beauty in its movement and pride in its provisions. She was happy to have it and gave herself over to it with abandon. McCarty herself puts it this way. I knew there were people who didn't have to work as hard as I did, but it didn't make me feel sad. I love to work, and when you love to do anything, those things don't bother you. Sometimes I worked straight through two or three days. I had goals I was working toward. That motivated me, and I was able to push hard. Work is a blessing. As long as I am living, I want to be working at something. Just because I'm old doesn't mean I can't work. And hers was not a standard-issue job. McCarty scrubbed her laundry by hand, until she stopped in her late 80s on a rub board. She didn't like the way the washing machines made her laundry look. Hard work gives you your life meaning, she said. Everyone needs to work hard at something, to feel good about themselves. Every job can be done well, and every day has its satisfactions. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you've got to do things you can be proud of. Shortly after she retired... McCarty did something that made many African Americans very proud of her. And I would like to say many Americans proud of her. 
She had begun to save almost as soon as she started working at age eight. As the money pooled up in her doll buggy, the very young girl took action. I went to the bank and I deposited it. Didn't know how to do it. Went there myself. Didn't tell Mama that I was going. I commenced to save money. I never would take any of it out. I just put it in. It's not the ones that make the big money, but the ones who know how to save who get ahead. You've got to leave it alone long enough for it to increase. Of course, that requires self-control and modest appetites. My secret, she says, was contentment. I was happy with what I had. These sturdy habits ran together to produce McCarty's final secret. When she retired in 1995, her hands painfully swollen from arthritis. This washerwoman, who had been paid in little piles of coins and dollar bills her entire life, had $280,000 in the bank. Even more startling, she decided to give almost all of it away, not as a bequest, but immediately. She took most of that 180000 of the 200000 out of the bank, and she donated it to the University of Southern Mississippi to fund scholarships for worthy but needy students seeking the education she never had. When they found out what she had done, over 600 men and women in Hattiesburg and beyond made donations that more than tripled her original endowment. Sounds a little bit like feeding 5,000 people and coming out with a whole bunch of bushels of food afterwards, doesn't it? Today, the university presents several full tuitions called McCarty Scholarships every year. And like a lot of philanthropists, Osceola McCarty had a strong and virtuous character and good habits. She lived frugally. She never owned a car, walking almost everywhere, including more than a mile to get her groceries back and forwards. She didn't get an air conditioner until she was into her 80s. She lived in a modest frame house just blocks from the university. She went on Sundays to the Friendship Baptist Church carrying a Bible held together by scotch tape. In addition to the dignity of work, McCarty's satisfaction were the timeless ones. She believed faith in God and family closeness and love of locale, love the community that you're in. One friend described McCarty's faith as as simple as a Sermon on the Mount and just as difficult to practice. She was baptized at age 13, dunked in a local pond while dressed all in white a mixed blessing for someone who washed her clothes by herself. I start each day on my knees, saying the Lord's Prayer. Then I get busy about my work, McCarty told one interviewer. You have to accept God the best way you know how, and then God will show himself to you. And the more you serve God, the more able you are to serve God. When a journalist from a magazine asked her why she didn't spend the money she'd saved on herself, she answered with a smile that thanks to the pleasure that comes from making a gift, I am spending the money on myself. 
I am proud that I worked hard and that my money will help young people who worked hard to deserve it. I'm proud that I am leaving something positive in this world. My only regret is that I didn't have more to give. And like a lot of philanthropists, Osceola McCarty knew she didn't have to save the whole world. She cast her buckets down and fixed what was at hand. I can't do everything, but I can do something to help somebody. And what I can do, I will do. Now, I, I don't know exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But I suspect that Osceola McCarty knew. May God bless this word. Amen.